Well, 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 good morning. Whoo! Man, uh, we sure have come out of some uh, incredibly crazy stuff over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? Uh, as we've traveled uh, into and through uh, the extraordinary wonder uh, of that annual rhythm of coming back to the remembering, the immersing in, uh, the, 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 the jumping into uh, perspective and reality of what it is we are recipients of in the great redemptive work of Jesus. That, that we could circle around what we know as Easter so that we can dive into his life, death, and resurrection and all the implications to it. And we sure had an opportunity to do that together over the last uh, couple of weeks and especially last weekend. And so last weekend on Sunday, as we gathered here uh, to remember the redemptive work of Jesus, uh, we got to uh, uh, be immersed into uh, the the, the perspective that was unfolding in several spaces in the different kingdoms that were at play. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of earth, and the kingdom under the earth. And, and so we, we got to watch that unfold. And what we discovered as we ended last Sunday is that the resurrection of Jesus, each kingdom encountered uh, his power and his wonder and, and his uh, authority fully. The kingdom of darkness realizing now uh, that the, uh, the, the way forward is, is not going to be in victory and in charge. It, it is going to be a fight that is going to end in inevitable defeat. Um, and then the kingdom of earth through Mary, uh, one of Jesus's dear friends, uh, discovering her rabbi, her Messiah, her friend risen. And we kind of just stopped there like, there he is. Wow, rabbi, unbelievable. And of course, the kingdom of heaven celebrating the wonder of a risen king who will now be established on his throne as he always has been um, and, and express that. And they're just like, oh, it's going to be awesome. So, so that's where we ended. That's where we landed. But the point is the story does not end there. Uh, not the whole story of history, nor just the story of Jesus on this planet, because Jesus does not leave the planet right after the encounter with Mary in the garden. Uh, she doesn't encounter him and say, gardener, do you know where his body is? And he says, Mary, and she says, rabbi, and then he's gone. It doesn't work that way. The story actually, as scripture reveals it, carries on for a bit before he leaves this planet in physical form. And, and then uh, the story unfolds past that as he sets the new paradigm into which we as followers of Jesus walk and function. And that is our ongoing journey is God, now that we live on this planet and wait for our eternity and the full expression of our redemption, what is it we are to do? How is it we are to live? And he goes, don't worry, I will both show you and empower you to that end. And that is the rest of the story. So today, as we close out our time in Easter, ready to move on next week back into Philippians, we get to take a second and say, how does the particular story unfolding in the Easter events help us understand where we are to go from here? Now that we have encountered the risen Savior, what does that mean? 
So right after the events that we encountered on Sunday last weekend, the Easter events, Jesus begins a sequence as it unfolds in scripture in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of uh, appearing to hanging out with and teaching his disciples, his followers not just the disciples that when we think of that word, the guys that were around him, uh, but his followers and disciples that expanded into some of those who had been following him on this planet before his crucifixion. And so there were uh, not just tens, but hundreds of people that he begins to appear to sit with and teach. And he's unpacking for them where this all goes. So in that teaching, Uh, We know bits and pieces of that teaching, but what we begin to see is that Jesus is now solidifying, clarifying, and nailing down certain things that he had already taught prior to his death and resurrection. But remember, the context that the people had prior to his death and resurrection uh, was a context that was a little skewed. Remember, they, they weren't anticipating a death and a resurrection, though Jesus had told them that because uh, unlike us who have historical perspective and hindsight, we have to put ourselves in their shoes prior to the death and resurrection and imagine that they could not have imagined that. So as a, a rabbi who teaches in parables, I have no doubt on multiple occasions, if I were with the disciples, one of them, we might've been discussing this statement he made for the fourth or fifth time, I'm going to die and in three days rise again, I will rebuild the temple, my body. I would be going, I wonder what that parable's going to mean, but I won't possibly imagine it's going going to mean he's actually going to die and he's actually going to come back from the dead until when? After he dies and and comes back from the dead. And if you remember Peter in particular, when he encountered the risen savior, the empty grave, it says, Peter marveled at all that Jesus had said. So now Peter's going, oh, what? What? And, and you know how you do that when you watch an amazing movie that's super confusing and then you get to the end of it and it suddenly all makes sense and now you want to watch it a second time because you're like, I missed all the clues because I didn't know they were clues. So Peter's curious, like all the other people, like, what does it mean now? And Jesus shows up and says, don't worry, I'm going to help you understand. I'm going to clarify and say, do you see now? Do you understand now? Remember this, see this, see that. And that's what Jesus does for 40 days post the resurrection. So he's encountering disciples, hanging out, doing stuff with them, teaching them, showing them, clarifying, solidifying. We get to the end of that particular section of those 40 days, And then an amazing thing happens. At the end of the gospel, um, unpacking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, documentaries, if you will, of the life of Jesus, Matthew and the other disciples in different ways, but Matthew in particular, at the end of his gospel, says Jesus came to the mountain where the disciples had gathered, where he had sent them. And he showed up there with them and he said to them, all right, guys, here's the deal. 
I'm going to go now, but I need you to know what you are now to do on this planet. He, he was singular in his summary of the culmination of what he's taught them and what he's shown them and the redemption he's affected for them. You are recipients of my redemption now. Here's how it goes from here on out. And in that particular passage, here's what Jesus says. This is found in Matthew chapter 28. And as soon as I can get there, there we are. Um, I will read it to you. In Matthew chapter 28, a very end of the gospel, it says this. <clears throat> and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me now. Okay. Now he's always had it, right? But he's like, has been given to me. And, and it's like, he's saying, is that clear now? Any, any doubt that I hold how much authority? All of it. Remember this whole time, what have we been saying? What Jesus is demonstrating, declaring, and affecting in his life, death, and resurrection is a truth that was already in place and he's now declaring it. Every knee is going to bow to who? Jesus. And every tongue's going to confess who's King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Jesus. And so he's like, okay, so we clear now, right? All authority where? In heaven and on earth and by implication under the earth is who's now? Jesus. So he's like, it's mine. And now watch what he says. So considering that, go therefore, since I am now in full authority as I have always been, but you know that now. You don't have to wonder about that. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I, I don't want you to make disciples only of the nation of Israel. I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to go to the whole planet and it doesn't matter who they are. If they are human, start discipling them. If they're human, go do it, right? So of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, the baptism there, bringing them into the reality of my community, my kingdom, my family. Baptize them in, uh, solidify them in, if you will. And look what he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you to the ends of the age. Uh, and, and, and here it is. Jesus, again, just simply clarifying, not even clarifying, just stating what discipleship is. By definition, if there is a teacher or rabbi and the teacher or rabbi has disciples, the point isn't just to tell the disciples what the rabbi believes or who the rabbi is or how the rabbi understands. The point of a disciple is to conform their way of thinking and their way of living to that which the rabbi is showing them. Because it would seem incredibly silly if you were a disciple of a rabbi and you learned from them their thinking or their way and then you ignored any stepping into living by that way. It, would, it wouldn't just be defiant, it would be stupid. Like it'd be a waste of time. You'd be like, I want to understand how you think. I'm so thrilled to follow your thoughts. I'm not going to do any of them. 
Just, I just want to hear about it. So discipleship by its definition isn't simply saying, I want to know and then do my thing. It is, I want to know, understand, and live like you. That's why I'm following you. That's any version of discipleship and rabbi. You should not be following a teacher you don't want to be like. I mean, I, I, I tell the emerging generations all the time, have been for like decades, You don't want to follow people through what you listen to, watch, understand that you don't want to be like. In the same way, you don't want to follow Jesus and not want to be like him. So that's all he's saying is go out there, uh, make disciples of them, and then make sure as you do that, that you bring them into community through baptism into my family. And then uh, that you tell them how I live, what I've shown you, what you've seen, so that they might live as I do because my way is life and freedom. So let's go do that. And there's, there's what Jesus does. And then it, it says, um, right after that, um, he, he left. The planet like literally ascended. So in the book of Luke, which is another one of the gospels, uh, Luke is writing a documentary like Matthew. He's writing it to a guy named Theophilus. And, and as he writes that documentary, his documentary ends not like Matthew's, uh, where it ends with the ascension uh, and it ends with the, uh, the, the commission, the here's what you do. It just sort of says, he came to the mountain, uh, he blessed us, he rolled out and we went to Jerusalem celebrating. That's what Luke says. So you kind of feel a bit with Luke like, Dude, you, you didn't mention anything about the, uh, the whole, how, how, what are we to do now? And that's because Luke wasn't done. Luke wrote two letters, two mini documentaries, if you will. One was the book of Luke and the other was the book of Acts. The book of Acts starts to my dear Theophilus in my former letter. I told you all about Jesus. So now I want to tell you all about us as it relates to Jesus and what we are to do. So Luke decides, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to start his second letter with the Great Commission because the second letter is about now, where do we go from here? And so Luke, in the second letter, the book of Acts, he starts out this way. Um, Acts chapter one, turn in there, here we go. In Acts chapter one, he talks again about the ascension Uh, And he says this in verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? A story for another time. They're like, okay, it happened. Do we get the throne now? And and this is what Jesus says. He says, listen, uh, that's gonna happen, but but here's what's gonna happen now. That's gonna happen when the time is right. But in verse um, eight, he says, but you right now will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he said to them, now now go to Jerusalem and wait there and, and I will show you what I mean by you will receive power to go do this. But when you receive power, what is that power going to and what ought that power do in you to affect what you're gonna do? What are you gonna do because you receive this power? I'm giving you my power by my spirit for what purpose? To be my witnesses, where? Everywhere. And in this particular case, 
Luke actually defines it the way Jesus did for him. He writes what Jesus told us. He's like, okay, it's, it's, it's in Jerusalem right here. It's in Judea and Samaria, and it's to the ends of the earth. And, and we find out as the story unfolds that Jesus didn't just say three random things, like sort of a, it starts right here and then it goes out from there. I, I think a lot of times like it's, it's a logical conclusion, right? You start in your little local, then you go to your next little sort of bigger thing, and then you go to the whole world. But what Jesus was actually doing beyond that, that was happening. He's like, start here, go there. What he was actually doing is what's already defining, like he always does, a grand mystery that they had not yet discovered. They were just getting a clue to that they would discover as the story unfolds now. A mystery that would eventually become something that Paul would write about among others to say, oh my goodness, we thought it was only this, but as usual, it's all of this as well. I'll get there, don't worry. I'm not gonna leave you guessing, but we're not there yet. So here's how the story unfolds. They go back to Jerusalem, the disciples do, they wait and indeed the power of the Holy Spirit falls on them in a form that is so visible that they don't have to guess whether it happened because remember, they don't yet have history. They have no context. They have no history of what the paradigm is under the empowerment by the Spirit instead of the empowerment with Jesus physically with us. So for them, as a starting point, they are these physical manifestations of what's happening so they can go, are you seeing the flame above my head like I am above yours? I am, wow! Anybody wondering whether something insanely supernatural just happened? Nope, we have history. We have generations of people that have lived by the power of the Spirit doing incredibly crazy, amazing supernatural things, both in their suffering and in their miraculous wonder. And so we don't need physical manifestations to believe we have plenty of evidence to ride on. But then they had none. So God's like, I'll just show you. So they get the Spirit of God and immediately empowered by the spirit, the response is that Peter goes out with the guys and they share the redemptive story of God and who Jesus is to the people in Jerusalem. And the people come to know Jesus by the thousands. Long story, they were the people that followed Jesus into Jerusalem in many ways. So it's not like it's a random set of people. They're suddenly brought into the, into the reality of what actually happened. He didn't die. He didn't lose. He died to save and he rose again. And they're like, wow! And they all come to Jesus. So many of them, thousands. And what happens next? It says, and then they received the Spirit of God. So you're like, oh, oh, all these people that just came to Jesus who are the Jews that followed Jesus, they are not only recipients of his redemptive work, his life, death, and resurrection, but they are recipients of his spirit, which means they are to be, gosh, it hasn't been that long. It's been about seven minutes since we said that we we're gonna be witnesses if we have the Spirit. So you guys gotta track with me here, right? If you get the Spirit, your assumption should be that I'm to be a witness, right? Like, like 
Jesus didn't be like, some of you are going to get the spirit to be witnesses. Some of you are going to get the spirit to do Bible studies uh, and, and, and to sing really well in the uh, worship time. We should do all those things, but he didn't tell us you got the spirit so you can keep yourself busy with stuff. You got the spirit so you can be witnesses to my great work of redemption and who I am because every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess and I want them to know what I've come for so that when they bow, they bow in worship. When they confess, they confess in awe, not in fear and trepidation because they do not know me. So go, go tell them. Okay, so the Jews get the spirit of God. Wow, awesome. Then a community forms, it's beautiful, Acts chapter 2, and we all say, that's what the church should be like. Why isn't our church like that? Because you haven't read chapter 3. <laughs> and that's the beauty of the book of Acts. <laughs> One quick, short, very, very tiny chapter with a few little weeks involved before complaint comes. You're not treating these people the same as these people, and this isn't happening. And so just FYI, when people say, we want to be a, an Acts 2 church, I go, we already are. Uh, we got some good things going and we got some mess going just like them. Uh, our mess might be a little different than theirs or a little the same, but it's the same. Chapter three, it gets a little squirrely. Chapter four, chapter five. And, and, and suddenly you got Stephen, who's a deacon now uh, because the widows needed help and the other widows were being treated really well. And there was complaint and they're like, let's figure this out. And as a deacon, Stephen preaches the gospel. And in preaching the gospel, uh, Paul, who is at that time Saul, uh, uh, comes in, stirs some stuff up, and Stephen gets stoned and killed, and somebody dies. And the reason that's important is because at that juncture, the people who are this community hanging out in Jerusalem, it says, oh, time to go home. Because they weren't actually living in Jerusalem. They had come for the Passover with Jesus right before his death to see him set up his throne. He died. He rose again. They came to know that. They hung together. Now persecution is heavy. People are dying. And they're like, we're going to head home. And God sends his people all over the, 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 the known parts of Jerusalem and uh, Israel. So they all go back. In particular, one guy, Philip heads out from that and he goes and does what Jesus said to do when you receive the spirit. He goes and tells people about Jesus and teaches them about Jesus. And where does he end up? He ends up in Samaria and he's preaching the gospel in Samaria. Samaria is a part of the world uh, that the Jews didn't like at all. And they're like, they get him too, darn it. I'm not saying that was necessarily their attitude, but I suspect there was a bit of rumblings going on. But Philip, he's like, he said, go everywhere. I'm going. And he goes to Samaria. He preaches the gospel there and people come to know Jesus. And at that juncture, he sends word back to the apostles in Jerusalem. He's like, the Samaritans, they are recipients of the gospel, just like Jesus said they would be. And the apostles are like, we got to go and see if it stops there for them or if there's more. Are they also participants? So they say in the book of Acts that Peter and John were sent to Samaria and they came. And at this juncture, Peter and John are like, okay, let's see how far this goes. What was Jesus's incredible intent? Now, maybe Peter and John had already heard from Jesus. Listen, they're all getting the Holy Spirit. Anytime somebody comes to Jesus, uh, just know that 
So maybe they were in the know or maybe they were like, okay, let's see. But in, in that particular juncture, it just says they laid hands on to ask for them to receive the spirit. And they did. And they did. In a, in a clear form, there was a physical manifestation of this receiving because look at Jesus. It's going to start in Jerusalem and they're going to be recipients and participants because of the spirit. They, that'll be clear. Then in Samaria, you might wonder, do they participate as well? So I'm going to make an initial, very clear physical manifestation. The Samaritans get the spirit too. Boom. And we have that event take place. Now we know the Samaritans are also given the spirit, which means they are also to be very good. You guys are tracking now. Okay. You get the spirit. You get to be a witness. No, no. You are to be a witness. Period. End of story. Right? Okay. So then after that, that's in chapter eight of the book of Acts. In chapter nine, Peter has a dream uh, that's kind of weird. We're not going to get into it about unclean food. And God shows them through that dream. Uh, you're going to step into a very uncomfortable space because I'm up to something really awesome. And a Gentile comes. There's a knock. Uh, hey, this Gentile needs you at his house. His name is Cornelius. Peter goes and he shares the gospel and the Gentiles, the Gentiles, they come to receive Jesus as savior. So what did Jesus say? It's going to be in Jerusalem. It's going to be in Judea and Samaria. And where else is it going to be? The ends of the earth. Who's going to have the opportunity to hear and receive the wondrous news that Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the human race. And those who come to know him shall be saved. Who's going to hear about that? Everyone's going to get a chance to do that because it's for everyone, right? Now watch this. Okay. They get to the Gentiles, they preach the gospel, they come to know Jesus, and there's other believers around, I'm sure, because people, when they heard Peter's going to a Gentile's house, they're like, we want to see. And they're watching, and as Peter is praying for them, and in, the, in that case, in chapter 9, it doesn't even say Peter prayed for them to receive the Spirit like it did in Samaria. He's just kind of praying and saying things, and God's like, I, I wonder if God was like, they're not going to ask because they, 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 they probably don't. But suddenly Cornelius and his family receive the Holy Spirit. And it literally says in chapter nine, the believers, the Jews that were there saw this happen. And this was their statement. It's written down. The Gentiles get him too. Like the Gentiles believe that's awesome. But what else do they get? They get the Holy Spirit, which means that the Jews, those from Jerusalem, are to be what? Witnesses, because they have the Spirit of God. And the Samaritans are to be witnesses because they have the Spirit of God. Now the Gentiles are to be witnesses because they have the Spirit of God. So who's left out at this point? Who gets off the hook on, I think I'm supposed to be a witness? No one. All the nations, as they encounter the gospel and receive Jesus as Savior, then they will receive the Holy Spirit and they are to be witnesses. Okay, you are tracking. Now watch this. This is so crazy. 
that all unfolds. And then the rest of the book of Acts unfolds and we see incredible things happen. And then after the book of Acts and during the book of Acts, letters begin to be written by these leaders, apostles that are encountering all of this. And it is in the letters that they now start going, okay, you all want to know what's all went down in the book of Acts so that you know what you're part of and and you want to start catching the mysteries of what's happening. Just like Jesus, who would have taught things that we saw and we're like, wow, what does it mean? And then after his death and resurrection, he comes back and like, do you want to know what it all meant now? Do you want to see? That's the letters then. The letters and the, and the, the rest of the New Testament is, let me explain what you saw. And so we start getting things flushed out. In the book of Ephesians, Paul will write, And he will say, hey, folks, listen, we thought the grand mystery of the gospel uh, was in fact that there would be a Messiah and that he would come. But we all know that's not the grand mystery because we've been waiting for the Messiah for how long? Thousands of years. So it's not a mystery that we were waiting for a Messiah who would come and save us. That happened. What is the mystery? that he didn't just come for the Jewish people to save them so they can rule over the other nations. He came to save the Jewish people and the other nations. And he didn't just come and save the Jewish people and the other nations by saving the Jewish people, then empowering the Jewish people to save the other nations by being witnesses and bringing him to them. He actually included the other nations in both being recipients of the gospel and participants in it, which means we are now kind of actually how many nations? One nation under Jesus. He's writing all this in Ephesians, right? And then he says this, and the grand mystery that we couldn't have fathomed is that in fact, God's grand display of his redemptive power wasn't actually mostly experienced or rather fully experienced just in his death and resurrection. He's up to something that that then results in. What is that? That all people Jews and Gentiles alike will be reconciled under Christ. And then he says this in Ephesians. Remember, we were there. In Ephesians, he says, and this thing, in fact, forget it. No, I'm reading it to you because it's that important, okay? I'm not just gonna say it. Listen to this. In Ephesians chapter three, he unpacks this mystery in chapter three, and then he says this um, in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So he's like, listen, it is this reconciliation that actually she displays my power over sin to the cosmos. And I'm going to do it through the church, which is us. Okay, you with me so far? So now you're like, wow, we are to be witnesses empowered by the Spirit. And as we do that together, the very doing it of itself is a cosmic display of his redemptive power in the communal sense that it reconciles us and gives us the same purpose. Wow. Okay. And then Paul, uh, uh, Paul will also write in the book of Romans. And by the way, as this incredibly cosmic, unbelievable display of God's power is happening by the very nature of you gathering, being empowered, stirred up and spurred on and going out, being witnessed remember that as we are witnesses, we are witnesses of the gospel because we are not ashamed of the gospel. 
Why would he say that? Because I feel like we'd be like, why would you be ashamed of the gospel? It's incredible. Well, have you encountered the other humans? So, you know, you, you, you always, you come down to Jesus and you're like, witnesses, empowered by the spirit. This is awesome. Hey, you should hear about Jesus. You're a fool. Sorry. Hey, you should hear about Jesus. Idiot. Oh gosh. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Go away. And then eventually you're like, hey, I, I follow someone. Right, because in your workplace and your neighborhoods and your friends and your people, it's hostile, it's crazy, especially in a culture that finds itself quite intelligent and feels like it knows a heck of a lot more than God. And there's been cultures like that before us and they will be again. And so now we're called into this craziness. And so Paul writes, listen, when you start getting like all like, oh, I can't be a witness anymore. I thought it would be easy. It's super weird. He's like, yeah, why do we keep doing it then? Because we are not ashamed of this gospel. We already know that. But let's be reminded, we are not ashamed of this gospel because for those of us that have encountered Jesus, it is the power to salvation. This message, this truth, this declaration and following this savior is actually not just a good rabbi to follow. It's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who has set right your eternity and mine. And that's a really big deal. So the entirety of my being saved now and forever is wrapped up in this truth. So I'm definitely reminded, oh, that's right. It's not just a story to convert some folks to a religion so that we get the biggest one and win. That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because we have encountered a truth in a person who changes everything about our everything and gives us everything we don't have in our future. And he says to us, go tell the others because it's available to them too. To who? All of them, go tell them. We are not ashamed because we know what this is. And then he says, and FYI, in case you get a little shocked when other people are like, this is foolishness. To those who don't yet know Jesus, this message will initially sound like foolishness. So what are you anticipating you might encounter when you share a message that sounds and feels like foolishness to a person who has not yet encountered it, though it is the power of salvation for you. You should anticipate some hostility or persecution or uh, laughs and giggles about you, right? So we go, okay, I got it. I'm not ashamed because I know what it is. They'll be weirded out initially. Sometimes not, sometimes yes, sometimes a long time. Expectation set. I'm empowered by the spirit of God and up to something bigger than I've ever imagined possible to participate in. So I'm going to go do that. Now back to the Great Commission. So we've got the mystery established. We know that we have this truth that we're not ashamed of because we know what it is. And then Jesus says, so what I want you to do is go into all the world and make disciples. Interesting that he said that. He didn't just say, go tell them and then roll out. He said, no, go, go make disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? A disciple of a rabbi learns the way of that rabbi, sort of how they function, think their rhythms, learns the truth of that rabbi, what they actually know and believe, how they think about the reality of everything, and watches the life of that rabbi and says, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mimic your life. So that's how rabbinical 
and discipleship relationships worked during Jesus's time. You find a rabbi you want to be like, and then you learn their way, you learn their truth, you learn their life, and you mimic all of it until it becomes yours. So he says, okay, you should watch me really, really carefully learn my way, learn my truth, learn my life, and then mimic it, and then go find other people as it becomes your way, your truth, and your life, and tell them about me, bring them to me, and show them my way, my truth, and my life until they look like me. And eventually, we will all look like Jesus. Oh, that sounds awfully familiar. This is the way of the rabbinical life. So we, if we're going to make disciples of people who don't yet follow Jesus, it is not simply to go share a quick message with them, check a box, have them get weird about it, walk away and say, job done. Now I will pray until I die. It is us in consistency living before them with the way of Jesus and the life of Jesus and sharing consistently with them the truth of Jesus in ways that we believe by the power of the Spirit, as we are discerning, they would be most receptive to wondering about. That's what we are to do. We are to do this because he says, go make what? Disciples of all nations. Okay. Now we wrap it up. Here we go. Watch this. So crazy because God is always like, oh, I've been showing you this all along. It's like Paul, like, I mean, like Peter, like he marveled. So, where have we been studying before Easter? A little letter written to the church in Philippi. And what's been our most recent uh, embedding in this letter? Hey, let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What does that sound like? Like, be like him, do what he does, do his way, uh, take his truth and live in it, okay? And, and listen, have your attitude be the same of his. And when you're doing that, make sure the only way you can do that is if you do it together. Remember we were in Philippians? Have your attitude be the same as, as Christ. What? How? Okay, you got the spirit and uh, watch each other. L look to each other. And they sent, remember, Epaphroditus. I'm sending him. And then Timothy will come soon. And I hope to come so you can learn from us as we follow Christ. Okay, so we got two clarities. Be like Jesus and do it together so that empowered by the spirit with these truths, you can go out and you can be witnesses so that people who don't know Jesus can encounter Jesus so that they might also consider being disciples so that they might also be free. Okay, got it so far? And then the author of Hebrews writes to us and he says, okay, inspired by the spirit, here's how it rolls out. You guys ready? Okay, a lot in Hebrews, and in Hebrews 10, he says, now, uh, whatever you do, hold fast to the confession of your faith, Hebrews chapter 10. So man, stay the course in a reality and culture in which you might live that is constantly eroding. You just come and hold on to what you know to be true about Jesus and hold on to Jesus. That's where it always starts. Live your life his way, by his truth, live his life. Hold, hold, hold. And then he says this, and do it how? Together. And that's what he says right after that verse. Do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but come together to stir each other up toward love and good deeds. There's Hebrews 10. By Hebrews 12, here's what the author of Hebrews is writing. 
in Hebrews 11, he lays out this grand display of men and women that have lived by faith before us throughout history. So he says, not only gather with the other folk that you're actually doing life with and stir each other up, but in then chapter 11, he says, and look to the folks that have gone before you that are not gathering with you because they're dead. Look to them. And in chapter 12, as we says, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before you and those right around you that you're gathering with, you with me so far? Since you're surrounded, cast off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race set before you with perseverance, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, so that as you follow him, watch this now, you follow Jesus, who's what? And this is this, follow him, fix your eyes on him, who's the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him, our salvation endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he says this, and is now seated at the right hand of the father. He is on his throne. And then it says this, consider him who, endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews chapter 12. So folks, gather regularly with each other. Look to those before you. Remember the commission that Jesus said, empowered by the spirit, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Go make disciples by following all of this. And then here's what's gonna happen. At the end of it all, here's what we know. The cosmos will watch as the kingdom of God is established, the kingdom of hell is defeated and we, the followers of Jesus, see his kingdom become the freedom on this planet and ultimately realize our full redemption. So what are we to do as we head out of here? We are to be witnesses making disciples. Final thought, ready? Pay close attention. We don't gather up in church so we can have something to do as followers of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. What should I do? Well, come to church and, and we'll have stuff for you. I mean, you can like serve and you can do Bible studies and you can sing and the whole rest of your life, you'll be kept busy. It'll be awesome. That's actually not what we're here to do. What we are here to do is also written in the book of Ephesians. Paul says the church is given some leaders he gives five categories and he says, and these leaders are given to the church to equip the actual people, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry empowered by the spirit is to be what? Witnesses. So I'm not here to ask you now leave here and go be witnesses. I, I do want you to do that, but it's complicated. So what I'm actually here to say is listen, Let's be gathering up regularly, working regularly together to be equipped and empowered to live his life, to do it his way and to know his truth. And while we're at that, where we find other humans, let's invite them to come and meet him and let's tell them about him. And then we'll leave it up to God to bring about his cosmic wonder so that one day we will stand among the multitudes when John turns and says, I saw a massive multitude from how many tribes, tongues, and nations? From every one of them.
the cosmos will see God's beauty realized, and we get to participate in it by being witnesses empowered by the Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this extraordinary privilege we have that we are not just recipients of your salvation so that we are saved and then spectators of your ongoing unfolding of your kingdom on this planet as you bring about the salvation of those that you are pursuing. But instead, you not only save us, but then you tell us, don't just observe it happening, though I certainly will finish the work. Come and participate in it. And by the way, I will empower you with everything you need to do it. And together, you will continue to stir each other up to disciple one another so that you might disciple the nations. God, this is wonderful and amazing. And yet, you know, it is complicated and challenging for us for a multitude of reasons. So we ask you that you, Spirit of God, would keep our heads on straight as we gather as a church, that we would never find ourselves gathering here so we can keep ourselves busy since we're followers of Jesus until we leave this planet. But in fact, that we would gather here with the intent of being stirred up and spurred on, growing, learning, and shaping as we watch the great cloud of witnesses before us and those right here around us follow you so that we might also then be people that follow you boldly by walking into our circles of influence and actually daring to take the step to invite them to come and see and know you, to share with them about you and to live before them in a manner that demonstrates that we actually follow you. God, show us the way. We are ready to be your witnesses. We just need your help to do it. So Spirit of God, we're counting on you to equip and empower us and to help us equip one another so that we might go and fulfill this great privilege you've given us to participate with you in redemption. We love you, Jesus. Amen.